The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. This is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Now, we've got some exciting news today from Hot Chili, who's been on the podcast before. The code is HCH, trading at around a dollar for a market cap of 120 million Australian or roughly 80 million US. But don't worry about that because uh, I think things, uh, we talk about re rating events very often, and we've got two big ones today from Hot Chili. As we know, they've been uh, plugging away for 11 years in uh, along their, uh, the coastline of northern Chile at their Costa Fuego copper gold project. And today they're releasing a, a preliminary economic assessment of the project and a funding uh, arrangement to uh, keep things moving along. So we won't, uh, got a lot to talk about. So I'll introduce Christian Easterday to the program. And uh, thanks for your time, Christian. Thank you, Barry. Great to chat again. Interesting time in the copper space. And it uh, looks like you guys are providing part of the answer. Uh, tell us, uh, give us some of the, uh, the bare bone facts out of this preliminary economic assessment. Uh, thank you, Barry. Well, look, uh, as you mentioned, two very significant announcements put out by the company today, firstly on funding and, and secondly on on a preliminary economic assessment, which for the first time brings together our entire production hub and provides very, very key financial metrics and measures for which uh, which we will be taking the project forward to deliver our pre-feasibility on next year. Firstly, on funding, uh, we've been uh, we've been in discussions with several parties for quite a while now, um, seeking a funding arrangement which would manage dilution for our shareholders, but most importantly, provide a, a clear funding pathway for the next 12 to 18 months. So this morning, we announced a, a significant investment by a Cisco Gold Royalties, uh, one of the leading royalty and streaming companies of the North American market, uh, a 15 million US investment uh, for a royalty across our copper uh, gold project, Costa Fuego on the coastline of Chile. Um, a very small incremental royalty was negotiated, a 1% NSR royalty across future copper production and a 3% royalty across future gold production, which equates to roughly around 1.1% royalty across our project uh, based on our existing study that um, came out today. So I guess that's a, a very strong endorsement from a group which is which is known for its rigour and technical capabilities in the North American market. And it follows um, funding arrangements um, announced for um, large copper developments um, within the Americas. Uh, I guess what, what's really key for the Australian market, and uh, the Australian market hasn't seen many royalty agreements uh, signed um, in the last few years, um, is that this really provides very strong look-through value on the company. We're trading, as you mentioned, at an $80 million US market capitalisation, and we've just executed an investment agreement with a Cisco for a 1.1% royalty for $15 million US. So, um, clearly uh, demonstrating the value that uh, Cisco has attributed to our project, 
but also we were able to secure um, very good terms um, in uh, in cooperation with the Cisco that uh, things such as um, changes of control over the next four years allow um, significant buyback rights to be initiated on that royalty to reduce the royalty to around half of um, that which has been announced this morning. Um, most importantly, that uh, royalty agreement and funding will bring our treasury to around 26 million Australian um, to be utilised for the advancement of the project and the kickoff of a 30,000 metre program in July. Secondly, on the PEA, uh, Barry, I, I guess um, this is really what the entire team has been working on uh, all of this quarter to bring this uh, study uh, to bear. And, and as you know, we, we had advanced a pre-feasibility some um, 80% of work streams have been completed on a pre-feasibility and the company was uh, taking an opportunity to pivot towards another phase of growth that we could incorporate into that final pre-feasibility for next year. So this PEA is, is really a, a, a good forward pointer on, on, on where the project is. Uh, we had several uh, metrics that we were trying to hit in the PEA and we've, we've hit just about every one of them. Firstly, uh, the PEA is, a, is a, a equivalent to a scoping study in Australia. It will be a, a long life project, but most importantly, what we've demonstrated is one of the world's lowest capital intensity major copper developments. So the project uh, has now been confirmed that we'll be producing around 95,000 tonnes of annual copper production and 50,000 ounces of gold over our primary production period. Um, we have a 16-year mine life at this stage uh, that will be, as I mentioned, primarily open pit um, with a small underground operation um, in the back end of that mine life. And what this has done has, uh, has really demonstrated a, a very conservative post-tax net present value at an 8% discount rate and long-term price of $3.85 copper being utilised, but around a US $1.1 billion NPV and an internal rate of return of 21%. Um, pre-tax, of course, um, a lot of the Australian uh, peers like to just talk about their pre-tax. We, we, we like to talk about both. Um, pre-tax about $1.54 billion and IRR of 24%, but certainly tax being um, a material factor. Uh, I guess where it really stands out head and shoulders above the rest is we're able to produce uh, circa 100,000 tonnes per annum of copper production for a long life period with a startup capital of around $1 billion. And that makes this the, mo the lowest capital intensity project um, in the development pipeline globally outside of the majors. So we were able to uh, demonstrate that at PEA level um, our total cash costs are very competitive. Um, C1 cash cost of around $1.33 per pound and total cash cost of around $1.43 per pound. Uh, we've done a lot of work on benchmarking the project against all of our peers and, and our peers are really the large end uh, copper developers in the world. Um, copper development projects that are capable of producing over 40,000 tonnes of copper and there's not many available, and certainly Costa Fuego is now rated as one of the larger uh, ones in that grouping with the nearest um, time, frames, time frames to development. And where we really clearly stand out 
uh, are on numbers around capital, um, around the low elevation of the project, which was always going to feed into that low capital estimate. And more importantly, um, it's also shed light on not a lot of these projects actually have water permits. And we have one of the only projects in the world that is at low elevation with water permits in place. Is that freshwater or seawater? That is that is a supply of raw seawater. Mm-hmm. Within the presentation announced today, actually, is some very key information we've included in the appendix of the presentation, which looks at the water situation within the within the Andean uh, copper belt and desalinated water to high altitude versus low altitude is yeah. is one cost, and then raw seawater processing for high altitude versus low altitude is another cost. And what that shows, um, as, uh, as predicted by McKinsey, is uh, even on an operating cost basis, raw seawater at low altitude um, compared to desalinated water at high altitude is around one quarter of the operating cost. Yeah. So let alone the capital cost saving of around $1 billion that our project uh, has, uh, has, has benefited from. You mentioned the uh, if you could take the royalty as a see through value. So what that works out at around one point three six billion. Yeah, correct. And and being announced in parallel to our um, PEA uh, with a, with a conservative one point one billion US NPV. Um, you know it, uh, it it gives clearly a, a significant uh, see through on what the re rate value of the company is in comparison to its peers. These numbers. Um, have been a long time coming. We've been talking about where we estimated um, the project to come in. Uh, and as we got closer, we were very, uh, I guess, clear around what we wanted. Um, so to be able to achieve all of these targets, um, to deliver this PEA on time and be able to now show market metrics, which show on a on a cents per pound basis on our measured and in indicated resources, uh, the valuations attributed to these projects in the market on average and weighted average, I might add, um, shows that we're about four times undervalued to the average of our space. But now we're also able to bring very important market valuation metrics um, on a study basis um, to the table. And if we look at our market cap as a ratio of the NPV on the project we've just put out, uh, we're traveling at about three to three and a half times under the average valuation in the market. So those are very key metrics. Um, We believe we have one of the lowest risk advanced um, large scale projects in the pipeline and certainly now having the endorsement of of Cisco as well as the endorsement of one of the largest mining companies in the world and largest copper producers in the world in Glencore. Um, This has been very rigorously assessed by a huge amount of stakeholders um, to get to this point. Mm. I take your point on those MPV ratios. Rough rule of thumb over the years is that a quality um, assessment, economic assessment like this one, and in the background here, of course, we've got that endorsement, quote unquote, by Cisco. Um, is it should be at this stage, say twenty twenty five percent of the MPV. This is the company's market cap. So yeah, you're you're, you're actually you're, you're you're nearly spot on there, uh, Barry. We we worked out from the crowd that currently in the market, uh, you know, as of as of uh, I think Friday last week was the cutoff on the on on the information we utilised, but it was it was around twenty two cents, and and we're travelling 
at uh, at about 0.22 is the ratio of market cap to NPV, and so not bad uh, on, on your uh, on your statement. Uh, and we're travelling at about 0.07, so um, yeah, about a three times uplift there at a minimum. So million dollar question: How do you close that gap? Well, the first thing that we do is, is is do what we did this morning. We secure funding, which means that not one share will be issued um, to provide the funding for the next 12 to 18 months. We have been discussing the optionality that this project affords um, for some time, and the optionality and funding has now been demonstrated with the utilisation of a very small incremental uh, royalty being applied to Costa Fuego. Um, most importantly, um, what we still have available and up our sleeve um, are uncommitted offtake rights uh, for 40% of our production on the first eight years, as well as uncommitted offtake rights on 100% of our production after um, year eight on this project. So uh, we'll certainly be utilising those offtake rights in future funding discussions. And in addition, um, something that we were very clear to do was to look at the utilisation of a royalty as, as an incremental step. We wanted to protect our ability for streaming rights um, on precious metal production uh, so that that can still be utilised um, as we move forward. And with 50,000 ounces of gold production annually, um, you know, we, we, we have significant amount of streaming uh, opportunities up our sleeve on funding. So, uh, so what that really... Uh, I guess underpins is an approach by Hot Chili to, to manage shareholder dilution, um, maintain our capital structure that we have had now locked for 18 months since our um, IPO into the TSX and for us to start really leveraging the value against a, uh, a share structure uh, which is unchanged. So, you know, at the end of this 12 to 18 months, we'll, we'll look back and, and we'll have a period of three years almost that uh, that not one share has been issued in the company, um, but yet significant de-risking and resource build has been undertaken as we move towards financing decision. Within the presentation, we outline a very clear pathway to financing and and, uh, and the commencement of construction on Costa Fuego. Um, we aim to deliver another resource upgrade at the end of this year. That will see almost two years of drilling investment I'll go into that resource upgrade. Um, as part of that resource upgrade, we'll also be in parallel looking at a large open pit scenario for Cordadera. The current PEA uh, on the main ore body at the Cordadera Porphyry, which is one of the three ore bodies that will be sent through a central processing facility at Costa Fuego, um, currently has a cave assessed. Uh, we are uh, very, very well aware that the uh, Cordadera operation may well turn into a super pit. And that option is certainly a scenario that we will now um, fully investigate um, with the remainder of the pre-feasibility that will we'll kick off um, immediately. And, uh, and what that shows is, uh, is, is certainly the ability for the mine life uh, and production to be materially increased if we decide to go for the large pit option rather than the underground option um, below the open pits in this PEA that has been outlined. So so that will be assessed um, towards the end of this year. And then next year, we'll be aiming to deliver our pre-feasibility in the second half uh, as we then move towards another resource upgrade 
um, pushing into the definitive feasibility. Ultimately, we're aiming to have this at decision to mine in late 26 and have this into production in 2028, um, all things going well and no major hiccups along the way. Well, that would dovetail nicely with what uh, um, all the smart investment banks around the place and companies like BHP are telling us that there'll be a pivot point around 2025 in the copper market if the world is to get to uh, decarbonise, get to uh, a net zero by 2050. Um, Electrification of everything has to take place, but people are wondering where the copper will come from. I know recently uh, City in their copper book said 5.45 US a pound is possible in 2025. That's about 40% higher than where the copper price is now. And uh, UBS said 2025 uh, copper will, could well have its lithium moment. So I think we all know what that means. Uh, cool. You're in agreement with all that? Yeah, look, um, it, as, as the saying goes, never ask a barber if you need a haircut, Barry. So <laughs> w- what we see in this project is, is, is ultimately something that is positioning very well for um, that, that coming copper squeeze. And when we've seen squeezes like that in the past, and I think I've discussed this with you in previous interviews, Barry, um, iron ore saw this moment, lithium saw this moment, um, where suddenly, you know, a, a huge amount of demand suddenly cannot be um, cannot not be delivered against um, with no supply easily brought on uh, because of the time frames that these things take. You know, we, we discussed the fact that Hot Chile has one of the only projects that's advanced of no altitude, but most importantly, with water permits. These are the type of things that hold projects up for decades. So very hard to have an operation without water and very, very difficult to consider building an operation where you're taking water out of the ground. Um, that is something that is is really going to um, <laughs> to, uh, to to probably uh, not be seen in the future given the way ESG um, credentials and requirements are for financing. So I think that, that what we see is we'll be um, looking for financing about the time where um, we expect to see copper incentive price at a, at a much higher price. Uh, we are quite conservative in terms of the leverage that we talked about in the announcement today and presentation in that, you know, if you add 50% to the copper price of 385 per pound long-term that we've used in this study, that triples NPV and doubles IRR. And then you're sitting with a $3 billion project US. To put 50% onto the commodity price, you know, may well in time be considered very conservative to be talking about upside. Um, remembering, of course, that the largest metals market in the world, iron ore, um, did a 10 times multiple from $20 to $200 a tonne. And the same thing happened with lithium when met with the same fundamental issues. Um, what we really see here is, is we are holding one of only a handful of projects that have this kind of production capability um, in the near term up to 2030 and you know what we've used is a 27 bank forecast to support our long-term price um, but most importantly we are very well aware of the leverage that this project has uh, to a, an increasing copper price environment and you could think of us as a Pilbara Minerals um, position before lithium price took off or an FMG before iron ore price took off we have looked for large exposure 
Um, we have done over a decade of de-risking on this project so that we have the timeframes to bring it into production and, uh, and our very um, significant amount of um, patience and de-risking um, looks like it will be paying off. And when it all comes to fruition, uh, well, even at this uh, advanced development stage, the you'll have a unique position on the ASX. Correct. Oz Minerals was taken over by BHP for, what, $9.2 billion. Um, and we've got Sapphire with production in Spain and Africa, and then we have E29, who's overcoming some problems up in Queensland there with their copper production. So you well could be the the copper counter for investors in this market, given that uh, Rio Tinto and BHP are obviously big copper producers, but uh, gets washed out with everything else. So. That's right. And, and Barry, these, these M&A cycles, I've been in the business for, for 24, 25 years now and seen a few cycles. And, and uh, you know, you see M&A with the Australian market and gold. Um, in this case, we're talking about copper and, you know, the, the Australian market had a mid-tier sector with uh, with with Oz Minerals and and I guess even with Newcrest, which was a major, but as a byproduct, quite a significant amount of copper production. We are now devoid of any mid-tier sector with copper production um, that is on a global scale, and, and and by that I mean meaningful plus one hundred thousand ton per annum. Um, Sandfire is is quite a long way away from that. Um, as a copper equivalent, certainly they they produce a lot of revenue material, and that's um, that's uh, one of their big benefits. But we, we don't have a plus one hundred thousand ton copper producer, and Hot Chili is the only copper developer in the Australian market with a plus one hundred thousand ton advanced development. Uh, so I think that that is very very unique and very meaningful for the company, uh, and is something that is uh, is also quite unique on the global stage. When you can sit there and look across the entire global development pipeline outside of the majors and you're only dealing with seven or eight projects um, within that class, um, you, you, you're, you, I guess, you know, there, there, there lies in the opportunity, Barry. Okay, Christian. Uh, thanks for your time today. You've uh, given us a good feel for the, the funding solution near term and then the, uh, the economic case for uh, an exciting project in Chile, which uh, we've all been watching for uh, more than a decade now, so it's good to see it all uh, culminating in what will be a hundred thousand now, a hundred thousand tons, sorry, uh, copper producer, which uh, this ASX market's crying out for representation. In. So, with all that, thanks for your time today. Uh, keep up the good work, and we'll speak soon. Really appreciate your time, Barry. Thank you. Cheers.